Welcome to Everything Imaginable, the podcast for curious minds from KGRA Radio. And here is your host, Gary Cochileo. Welcome everyone to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I'm your host, Gary Cochilillo, and today we have Sarah Dern. Uh, she is here to talk about a topic I haven't covered yet, and I'm really excited about it. It's, we're going to talk about alchemy. She has written a book on the subject. So we're going to learn how to turn lead into gold. Thank you for coming on. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Excited to be here. Great. Um, so how do we do it? <laughs> how do we turn lead into gold? That's what I want to know. That's why you're here. <laughs> We're going to solve the world's problems. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but then we'll probably inflate gold so much it will be meaningless at that point. So only for your podcast listeners. <laughs> exactly. We can't tell anybody. No, no, it'll ruin it. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, to, at this point, we can turn lead into gold. It has been done in a particle reactor, but it was a very small amount of gold and a lot of energy that was needed in order to turn that small amount of lead into gold. It wasn't actually gold. It was like one element off from the periodic table, but it was close enough where everyone was like, yeah, this will count. <laughs> um, <laughs> But yeah, for alchemists, like for sort of the historical alchemists, they always saw the transformation of lead into gold as two parts. So there's both the, it's often referred to as exoteric alchemy, which is the outer alchemy, the actual experimenting, you know, Merlin and his lab working with potions and cauldrons and all of that. Um, and that was definitely a huge part of alchemy, but another aspect of it is esoteric alchemy, just kind of where I'm would say more of my interest lies, mm-hmm. though I talk about both in the book, but esoteric alchemy, I think is what's most applicable for us lame, you know, non laboratory inclined folks. Um, and it's all about the inner transformation right. of turning our leaden souls into golden souls all right so so you don't have a lab set up in your basement with some beakers and you're messing around with mercury salt and (laughs) i forget what the other water i forget yeah i mean they use all sorts of stuff but yeah mercury well salt in alchemy actually refers to anything solid anything rigid Mm -hmm. even in like esoteric so inner alchemy the idea of like our inner um, blocks or biases or assumptions or stereotypes, those would be considered salts in our personality. But yes, I do not, alas, have an elaborate alchemical laboratory. That would be pretty cool. (laughs) (laughs) I'll have to settle, I guess, for the inner work (laughs) and like basic experiments. (laughs) I would probably be considered a salty personality myself. (laughs) Yeah. Do you have a lot of rigidity in your personality no i'm just old and cranky <laughs> yeah that, that counts you have lots of salts <laughs> so so what we're the really looking tell you to so what we're really looking at here maybe is um 
I guess the philosopher's stone or the elixir of life. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Do you work um, from like the emerald, the emerald tablet? Yeah. So that, um, for your listeners that don't know, the emerald, the emerald tablet <laughs> um, is the sort of core alchemical text, and it was written down sometime. I believe in like Alexandria is when we have some of the first remnants of it, but it's not very long, and it just it. It, it sort of reads like mumbly gook. Um, it's like all things are in one thing. The outer things are in the inner things. It's sort of like that. Um, that's not a translation though. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, but a lot of that is like kind of the base root of alchemy is that sort of these pretty, I think, universal ideas that Basically, everything is interconnected, and that was very at the heart of alchemy, and that's kind of how they thought that you could turn lead into gold, because after you take away enough of that substance, it becomes this base substance, this kind of substance that's in all things. Mm -hmm. So the Emerald Tablet speaks to that, both kind of for physical alchemy, for the actual doing of experiments, and more esoteric alchemy so the the outer work or the inner work of you know transforming yourself so it would, would the gist of it sort of be that everything is spirit yeah i feel like that's sort of the gist of just about everything isn't it um <laughs> but yeah yeah it's it, it has a lot to do with kind of that i think alchemy i mean one of the I think really beautiful things about alchemy and Carl Jung, the psychologist got really into alchemy, really into alchemy. He amassed one of the largest libraries of, of alchemical manuscripts in Europe during his lifetime. Um, but I think one of the reasons he was drawn to it is that alchemy, unlike other traditions where ideas of, you know, we are all spirit, we are all one mostly come from Eastern religions mm -hmm. like Buddhism, Hinduism, Jainism, but alchemy is something firmly rooted in the West. It's always been mostly, I mean, it's expanded into other places for sure, but there's certainly a lineage that you can follow all the way to ancient Egypt right. with alchemy. So, so it does, it, it does have a, it's almost like it, it presents Eastern philosophy, um, but from a hermetic point of view. Yeah. Yeah. From a more, a slightly more rooted in the Western thought, I would right. say. Yeah. And I mean, alchemy is an idea. I mean, it's this very amorphous sort of doesn't like to be defined term. The basic root of the definition is that it is about the art of transformation. Um, and so like anything having to do with transformation can be chalked up as to alchemy. And you see alchemy used all the time for something that, you know, isn't necessarily alchemical in mm -hmm. its roots. The alchemy of blah, 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 of blah, 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 of music, of duh. It's sort of become a very amorphous term, but 
yeah, the root of it is really about that we are all one and it does have this Western paradox of thinking about things. Um, so, so with the transformation, what is it that we're trying to transform and how do we go about it? Yeah, the transformation is, so in alchemy, there are seven stages of transformation. Um, and those seven stages are broken up into three different phases. Mm -hmm. So you have the black phase, the white phase, and the red phase. I think that's the right order. It might be white and red in reverse. I'll check. Um, but yeah, so basically you, the goal with the transformation is sort of the classic idea of dying to self and this sort of letting go of things that make our personality, the salts, so to speak, mm -hmm. you know, and it's about becoming that most pure version of yourself. I think I think a lot about like, meditation and how a similar goal with meditation is to sort of remove yourself from yourself and like just become spirit mm -hmm. and i think that's a lot of what alchemy and alchemists were doing and and it's cool because they saw that their experiments you know these in the lab mixing of potions and elixirs was a way to do that you know in the same way that yoga is a physical practice to cultivate that inner oneness. The lab side of alchemy, the doing of the experiments, the exoteric side of alchemy is similar in that it was a physical practice to hone and become one with spirit. God, whatever you want to call it, become one with that essence. Um, yeah, so that, that's kind of the goal. And then they had what I think is really helpful about alchemy that you don't always get with, well, maybe you do. Maybe I just haven't studied enough of um, Buddhism to know. But alchemists really had these seven stages. And those seven stages were pretty solid. And you... And not much is solid about alchemy, but these seven stages were sort of the base of transformation for all things, because all things came from one thing. Um, so it was believed that these seven stages could be applied to basically anything. Um, so I think what's helpful about alchemy is that because those seven stages are specific, you can have a specific framework for how to transform transform. I think a lot of times it's like, we all agree that, yeah, it'd be great if we were just spirit, if we were just one with God, with nature, with whatever that essence you want to call it. Um, but alchemy actually gives you a roadmap for how to do it. Um, what are these seven stages of alchemy? Yeah, so... It does start with the black phase and the black phase is well they're all they're all difficult <laughs> stages but 
the black phase is really where you're facing your shadow, so to speak. Um, it's actually Carl Jung who coins the term shadow. And I've already mentioned he's like super obsessed with alchemy. So that idea is kind of how he thinks about it. Um, but the first stage is calcination. And basically in calcination, in physical alchemy, it's where you burn a substance over a flame um, until the substance is reduced to ashes. Um, the word actually traditionally means reduced to bone by burning. Mm -hmm. So it's sort of this. And if you think about in mental spiritual alchemy, the more esoteric inner alchemy, the calcination kind of happens whether we want it to or not. It's, the pandemic it's um you know these sort of events that can uh, set fire to our lives in some way and sort of reduce it to ash um so, so would this be sort of like um oh, burning away the ego mm -hmm. yeah definitely and it can be like events in your life that are you know, unasked for, or stuff you seek out. Like in some ways going to therapy is kind of a form of a gentle calcination. I, I hope your therapist isn't really setting your ego on fire, or your <laughs> sense of self on fire, but um, in small ways, like setting like smaller fires, I think that's kind of, or even, you know, doing any sort of journal work that has to do with your shadow, with your sort of the side of yourself that you're not so pleased with or that you don't show many people right that's all in that first stage so you can already sense like that's a lot <laughs> that first stage just getting over that hump yeah maybe, maybe that's why my that. therapist fired me <laughs> she fired you <laughs> just kidding i didn't know <laughs> i was gonna say there's a story there <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I mean, that's how that's how I always thought of it. Though, is kind of like burning away the ego, and, and I agree that that um, life itself has a way of, of doing that. You know, when when that kind of stuff happens, I always think of the um, the Johnny Cash song, um, uh, "God Will Cut You Down." Love that song. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I I totally agree. I think. It, it's almost better, I think, if you can cut yourself down before mm -hmm. God can do it. Like if you yeah, can strengthen it's, it's, I think it's less painful. yourself <laughs> through that. Yeah. Less jarring. Um, yeah, I think there's like small ways we kind of go through the seven stages of alchemy every day. Um, or at least every week where kind of each stage is its own sort of lesson to be mm -hmm. learned. Um, yeah. And calcination isn't an easy one. Certainly. Right. <laughs> Haven't mastered that myself. Yeah. And then it looks like this next one is pretty tough too. Dissolution. Yeah. I mean, they're n none of them are easy. <laughs> if they were easy, then, you know, we all would be turning lead into gold all the time. Yes. So to speak. Um, so what is dissolution? 
Yeah, so dissolution. So dissolution is the, the second stage and it's also still in that black phase. So three phases, seven stages. The seven stages are split up into those three phases. Um, and dissolution is where you take those ashes and dissolve them in a liquid. Uh, it's actually, uh, this process is where we get the word elixir. Uh, in, in Arabic, elixir, alixar, means from the ashes. Mm -hmm. So you can kind of see the roots of that uh, in the different traditions. The Arab world really took over alchemy in many ways, not like in a conquering way, but they saved it because after the fall of ancient Egypt and the fall of Alexandria, really the Arab thinkers that continue the tradition. But yeah, the second stage dissolution, we're reducing those ashes into a liquid solvent. And then on the esoteric side of things, so the mental spiritual side of alchemy, dissolution is all about breaking down those salts that we already mentioned, those assumptions that have snuck into our unconscious. So you know, if you're really rigid about meditating every mm -hmm. morning, that can even be a solve. So even the things that you think are quote unquote good for you. And right. I, I'm definitely guilty of this. Um, you know, it's not being attached. It's, it's, you know, in like Buddhism, non-attachment, that yes. idea of letting go. And I think that there's something really beautiful about, I, I love, the black phase because i think there's something really lovely about this idea of fire and this really intense inner work and calcination that's painful and tough um and then for that the next phase to be you know water and calming and the sort of there's a little bit of you know go easy on yourself after yeah the yeah they're definitely yeah they're like the two opposites you're going from fire to water so i guess right. like, like fire burns off what could be burned off and then the water dissolves the stuff that needs to be dissolved yeah and washes away what is unnecessary yeah um yeah for sure and then the next phase yeah. is separation yep yeah, so the next phase, so now we've entered uh, the white phase. And separation in physical alchemy is where you discard the waste from dissolution. So all the gunk that you don't need to take with you, the salts in your personality, all that gets left behind. Uh, and you retrieve what's essential. So the pieces of you that are non-negotiable, you know, and it's, You'll kind of see through the seven stages, a lot of it is this fire, water, fire, water combo. Mm -hmm. um, and then basically, once you retrieve those essential parts in separation, uh, that's what you work with. So you usually pass the liquid from dissolution through a filter or porous paper. This is what alchemists would have done back in the day so it's just about separating out what kind of left to the water and mm -hmm. what emerged and then in esoteric alchemy so the you know inner alchemy that sort of looks like 
you know, leaving behind the per- parts of your personality that you don't need. Moving into the next phase, having left what is unnecessary. So has a bad habit around alcohol, right? Like, I don't know, maybe you drink alcohol, you know, every mm-hmm. night and you kind of recognize that that's a, something you've grown attached to in some way, you know? And here is where you actually stop doing that. Here's where you separate that. Here's where you leave that in the past and move forward with, you know, your more essence with more of your essential parts. Mm-hmm. So it's like getting rid of like the fear, anger, guilt, those things that really weighs down. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's all about Yeah, you know, kind of leaving behind what isn't useful to you anymore and moving into the future with what you actually need, which is probably a lot less than most of us think is what we need, you know? Yes. We get attached to a lot of who we are. <laughs> I think I'm losing you a little bit. Oh, are you? Mm-hmm. Give me one sec. I can move somewhere else in the house. It sounds like you're working in your alchemy lab. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just lied about not having an alchemy studio. I actually, it's actually right here and I'm in it because that's what happens with Wi-Fi. I mean, Wi-Fi is kind of a crazy form of alchemy in some ways. Um, okay. All right. So after separation, we are looking at conjunction yeah so conjunction is a really cool this is in like many alchemists considered conjunction to be the most important stage in alchemy um because it's sort of the part where two opposites are coming together so in physical alchemy this is where you take the purified matter from separation. So the stuff you've separated out as, you know, being more pure and you create an altogether new substance with it. So you might combine it with something, but it has to somehow be completely different <laughs> after this stage. Um, that doesn't look like anything in the past. And uh, alchemists often referred to the substance that's created the as the child of the conjunction or the hermaphrodite it's where these pieces are kind of becoming new life and then on the esoteric side the mental spiritual alchemy conjunction is where you combine opposing parts of yourself and create an altogether new personality or a new spiritual self uh, in the mental alchemy, this is where you join conscious and unconscious minds of things that may have just sat in your unconscious. You're pulling them into conscious mind and kind of vice versa. So like things that you're really conscious about, you sort of allowing them to rest and not think about them as much and putting them into the unconscious mind. Um, 
in spiritual alchemy, they would consider this the union of spirit and soul. So these sort of, oftentimes there's like, one is considered more male and the other is considered more female aspect. And the union of those, you might've heard something of the sacred marriage, which is where the red king and white queen marry. And that's where this happens. And it's their union that creates the child of the conjunction. So if you're thinking about your own life and sort of a, a practical example, kind of think about this might be a moment where, you know, you've left behind what you no longer need. You're this new version of yourself. And it's where that version of yourself starts to stick. So it's where you know, going back to our other example, if you are, um, you know, deciding not to drink alcohol every night, it's when that decision, when you really left it behind and that doesn't even cross your mind, it's when the habit takes in a way and you don't even really consciously think about it. It's the new you in a way, you know? Mm-hmm has a better relationship with alcohol apparently in my example yeah i mean i think that's something everybody experiences probably multiple times during throughout our lives where when we do that we kind of just automatically reinvent ourselves through different phases you know like when you're young you're young you know then you become you know i don't know young adult or middle-aged or whatever and then you're middle-aged and so, so you're it's like you're never the same person yeah yeah and you know and you can see like you know people i'm sure we all know people that sort of get stuck in one of those phases you know they never grow out of being a teenager being a college student or you know um they don't successfully go through a conjunction stage you know where they become something new next one is fermentation isn't that something to do with cheese <laughs> it is actually it has roots in alchemy <laughs> <laughs> i mean when you say something has roots in alchemy it's sort of it's sort of everything mm-hmm. because alchemists you know back in you know in alexandria in the 300 alchemy there just wasn't, you know, strict lines between disciplines in the way there are today. You know, when you were a scholar, you sort of learned everything. There wasn't an idea of focusing on one thing and majoring in that thing. Like it was always about learning lots of different things. So, yeah, when you say something has roots in alchemy, like cheese making, that's sort of the spin out of that, just because there wasn't hard lines between things but Mm -hmm. yeah so stage five fermentation so this is still the oh no so this is um the red phase so the last three stages are part of the red phase this is the final phase and it's where things really start to purify um and fermentation is where the child so this new substance that you create in the conjunction is maturing. Um, oftentimes fermenting bacteria over a low controlled heat 
were would be introduced you know if this was a laboratory experiment it's sort of like the fetus is in the womb and it's growing and chilling and doing its thing um and it's different than the heat of the calcination you know rather than in calcination the heat is intense and it's in your face and it's really tough and hot Mm -hmm. this heat is like a warm bath you know it's gentle it's you're trying to foster the growth of the child of this new substance. Um, and so in esoteric alchemy, so in the inner alchemy, what that translates to is sort of fermentation is maybe a moment when a new idea is brought to you. Um, it might be a new religious practice or meditation. It's something You know, because in the physical side of it, it's when this bacteria is introduced. So you can kind of think about it as like the bacteria in your life. You know, the things, bacteria in a good sense too. Bacteria, like the things that will help you grow. Like probiotics. Um, Yeah. Yeah, like probiotic bacteria. We're talking about like the good gut bacteria. (laughs) Um, And I'm trying to think of like, Like, I guess in our example with the guy who, you know, he's no longer drinking every night. He's let that go. Maybe this is a moment when, um, I don't know, he sees a new therapist or something and he's really able to process why he had that unhealthy relationship with alcohol. Um, It's something, and it's usually not... I mean, you can think about it as like a new relationship with a romantic partner, but I think most alchemists would say be wary of that because you don't want to be too reliant on someone else. You know, you want it to come from your own spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can certainly find that in a romantic relationship, but you got to be a little careful (laughs) with that too because there's a whole other thing that that can turn into sometimes and then the next one is uh this one sounds like you're making moonshine now distillation (laughs) good old distillation um yeah so distillation and you it's cool because Okay, I already said like fermentation is sort of like a gentler calcination in the same way distillation is like a gentler dissolution. Um, So in physical alchemy, it's where you purify this now fermented substance to its essence, often through evaporation um, or, or by repeatedly purifying a substance in liquid. So this is kind of where you see both air and water come into play um, and the sort of gentle purification that occurs. So you've introduced this new, you know, for our guides, this new therapist. He loves the therapist. And this is where kind of that work continues. It's where he gently purifies himself and sort of gets to know himself. Um I think therapy in general is probably a better example with distillation than it is with, I I know I mentioned it with calcination because there's something about therapy that I think is, is sort of gentle. It's not supposed to be, you know, tough. (laughs) I mean, to some degree, but 
not so tough where it's really like the heat of calcination. So distillation again is like sort of a calm water as you continue to purify yourself. I once wrote an article. I used to write like for a Buddhist blog, and I had written an article cool. called uh, "It was called Distillation of Consciousness," and okay. and, and I kind of used the idea that that when we sit and meditate, we're kind of is like like letting our our consciousness kind of evaporate and then come back into us. And every time we do that practice of, of sitting down and meditating every day is. Or, you know, it's like we're distilling some of our awareness to make it more and more yeah. pure. Yeah, it's sort of you can think about distillation, I think, in that it's sort of like a focusing of self. Um, it's like, uh, you know, I mean, all of these stages, what ideally you're seeing is you becoming more and more your essence. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think that's certainly true. I mean, I know I've already mentioned meditation as this kind of metaphor for the process of transformation, but yeah, definitely with meditation. And this sort of, um, I think with a lot of alchemy, there's sort of this dichotomy of like both opposites are true. Right. And I think that's true with meditation where you want to both focus and be unfocused. Right. Which is, you know, very hard to do. Right, yeah, <laughs> but yeah. um, that's a big piece of alchemy is sort of holding those opposites simultaneously. And then the last one is coagulation. I guess that's what, like, uh, sounds kind of scabby. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it is. I guess it's like, it's kind of where, you know, when, uh, you know, it's, you know you get a paper cat and the blood coagulates and it's hardened it's when the transformation sort of sets right it's mm -hmm. like when things are sort of finalized so i think that's a apt metaphor for what's going on in coagulation right, or like drying cement um, yeah yeah it's like it's becoming a solid mm -hmm. but not in the salt you know version of a solid it's becoming a solid and uh, this pure form, its purest essence. Um, I feel like when you talk about alchemy, you just talk about purifying everything, <laughs> which is essentially what it is. I just feel like I always use the word pure so much. I need some synonyms. Um, but yeah, coagulation. So we're still in the red phase. It's the final stage of alchemy. So as you might suspect, it's where the essence is totally refined. So it's when you, the, the ego is dead and you are just spirit. You're just God. You're just nature. You're just, you know, whatever you want to call that, the universe. Um, alchemists would say that this is when the child from the conjunction, so that initial spark of newness is born um, and comes into the world really on its own. Um and there's a lot of, like, just like we were talking about, there's this idea in the final stage of alchemy in coagulation that it's where opposites become one. Mm -hmm. So this idea of the metaphysical and the physical become one. Um, a lot of alchemists kind of thought about like halos around saints. You know, a saint would achieve a halo when they've reached 
coagulation, so to speak. Or you sometimes hear about people seeing auras, right? right. People who meditate a lot or um, that would be kind of another indication if someone has a strong aura that's, you know, sort of like a halo, that it's this physical and metaphysical joining up and creating this altogether new thing that is real. Um, and when you think about sort of inner alchemy, it's kind of the same thing, which is cool. Like it's, it's where exoteric and esoteric alchemy, you know, the, the laboratory experiment of alchemy and the inner alchemy sort of meet. It's where those two things cease to be separate disciplines and they just become one thing. Interesting. Um, so once we have that, all these stages, um, especially like for, for the inner alchemy, um, like, like what would, be, what is the purpose and how is it, you know, applicable to our everyday lives? Um, with inner alchemy specifically? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think alchemy is going to happen whether you want it to or not. Like we've already mentioned with right, the transformation. Yeah. Right. I mean, I, in some ways, I think I was just listening to this woman speak and she was talking about how, you know, you can read all the books and do all the things, but what you really need to do is just like spend time alone with yourself. Uh, you know, you can read up on alchemy. You can read the Bible. You can read the Bhagavad Gita. You can read all of it. But it doesn't necessarily mean that if you've studied these practices, you've reached enlightenment. Um, and so I think there's probably really adept alchemists who have gone through all seven of the stages who wouldn't know a thing about alchemy. Um, but that's just to say, I think that alchemy can happen sort of regardless if you know a lot about it. But I think what alchemy and studying alchemy can do is it sort of, I mean, it's the reason we study any of that. I think there's a lot to be said for the looking at those stages. So I think what's beneficial to go back to your question and thinking about inner alchemy, I think when, I, I mean, I, as a human being, um, and someone who has written a book on alchemy, I'm very practical in a lot of ways. I don't love when stuff just stays in the heady realm. Um, and if you read my book, you'll see, like, I, I am all about trying to give down to earth real mm -hmm. examples that people can really sink their teeth into. Um, and so I think what we can learn from alchemy is really a roadmap. Like, I think when you consider those seven stages and kind of think about, you know, how you want to purify yourself, you know, and what that might look like. I think alchemy can offer you some really simple steps towards doing that. You know, with calcination, it's a matter of journaling and confronting, you know, things that you're uncomfortable with. It's, I mean, it could even be like physical you know, like running a marathon mm -hmm. can be a form of calcination, certainly. 
but then there's also this balance you know I think one of the things I've learned I believe in studying alchemy is that with every act of fire you need water afterwards like um like today I just went to the doctors and I hate going to the doctors and I had to get blood drawn which I hate and so that was sort of you know that was me calcinating that was fire in my life it's something I don't like to do something that makes me uncomfortable something that really you know sort of reduces me to ashes in some way um and then the sort of balancing act of that is like when I came home I needed to sort of rest like I was gonna maybe go on a run but I ended up just coming home and showering and eating a bit and just you know that sort of balancing act Mm -hmm. of then going to the water and being gentle Right. So, so you needed like some chill time after the doctor's appointment. I do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> instead of, instead of going for the run. And yeah, having more, definitely. Having too much fire. I am definitely someone who is all about the fire. And I think Americans <laughs> in general, I'm sure I'm not alone. I think, I mean, like the idea of hustling and this like, illness of busyness that we have as a society i mean americans do a lot and it's kind of interesting too because we do so much to distract ourselves from the inner work you know like when we hustle it's it's not consciously done like i think that calcination is a sort of conscious practice you know you're consciously setting yourself on fire (laughs) in a way Mm -hmm. um you know, we can distract ourselves with fire, but if we don't take the time to, you know, take a bath, to shower, to, you know, do whatever it is that is our equivalent for ourselves of water, of that self-care work, you know, whatever makes you feel good. If it's playing video games, if it's going on a walk, if something that isn't physical, though, I mm-hmm. think is key. Like me going on a run after already going through this you know sort of calcination of going to the doctor's office and then doing some more calcination i mean calcination when you think about it's like calcify like it's going to harden if you don't yeah allow it to soak a little bit like you need to do both right like like you can't go to the doctor go on a run then come home maybe check your work emails and then maybe you know um you know, do whatever, <laughs> you know, go out, do some grocery shopping, come home, right. cook dinner, do, like do, do some more emails and then go to bed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've really been someone who has had to teach myself to go slower and that I, I, I do the fire naturally. I'm all about calcination. I'm all mm-hmm. about, you know, fermentation. I need to kind of consciously, very consciously and deliberately do disillusion and distillation and those more water practices, you know? Yeah, see, I'm like, the, I'm like the opposite. I'm stuck in the water <laughs> practices. I need fire because I'm like all about chilling. <laughs> <laughs> Great. So we should just talk every week and like maybe we'll sort each other out that way. <laughs> 
my wife can't believe I can get anything done. <laughs> I wish I was more chill. I'm just not. <laughs> That's why I need to work on it. But it's also, I think what's interesting about it is that, I mean, you can know all the stages, you know, and you can recite them off in a podcast like I've just done. But mm -hmm. what they basically boil down to is, Fire, water, fire, water. Well, it's like fire, water, separate new substance, fire, water, separate new substance. <laughs> I mean, like that process of sort of some intense fire, chill it out, take what you need, and then you become something new. I mean, that's like just what we all do all the time. I mean, that's like basic, you know, if you're... I'm sure many of your listeners are interested in sort of, you know, hermetic thought, thought and self-transformation. And it takes on a lot of different forms, but mm -hmm. I think what alchemy, like, I, I think it's just really cool how it's laid out in such a way where, you know, if I only do fire and you only do water, you know, if I only stick in the calcination stage and you just hang out in the warm bath of dissolution, <laughs> neither of us are going to transform at all. You know, it's the process of doing both right. consciously and thoughtfully that actually, like, if you want to change and become better, which, you know, isn't that the goal of everything? Right. You want to become more spiritually attuned, more aware, more, you know, connected to the source, to spirit, to God. You have to do, you have to both do the fire and the water. And then you need to take what you, you know, have learned and become something new. And you just do that process over and over again and eventually become gold. And that's how it works. That's awesome. <laughs> it, 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 like, like what I like about it is, is it is very, you know, it's a uh, Western philosophy, but when I hear it, I, you know, I can't avoid like thinking about things like Taoism or like the middle way of, of Nagarjuna and stuff like that. Yeah. Oh, definitely. That's what's so cool about it. I mean, that's what I know I already mentioned that, but I think it's, it's, you know, important enough to mention again that, that's the reason Carl Jung thought it was so cool because Carl Jung was into Eastern religions. And when he discovered alchemy, he's like, Oh my God, here is, you know, a similar sort of philosophy, but it's rooted in my place in this world that, you know, my ancestors were a part of and that this culture that I have been a part of, you know, rather than seeking it out in Eastern religions, um, that it's been here the whole time. Mm -hmm. And we just, I, and it's sort of interesting because you don't hear much, nearly as much about alchemy as you do Buddhism or Taoism or, you know, Eastern religions. You hear a lot, like people are more aware of these ideas being rooted in Eastern thought than they know anything about. And even if they do know something about alchemy, they probably just, know that you know it's like some merlin character trying to turn <laughs> lead into gold like right. they don't know that it's actually this philosophy that's really similar to 
in some ways Buddhism and Taoism mm-hmm. and Taoism and you know. Right. I, I, yeah. I I interviewed somebody the other day, and he one of the things that he does is he kind of takes um, books that most people would not read because they're like they're just too heavy, and, and he sort of put, just puts them in layman terms. And and I think that's sort of the thing with a lot of the Western traditions and why they're not so popular is because, like, when you go to try to read, like, a Gnostic text or uh, a Hermetic text or an alchemical text, it, it's really tough to follow. Oh, it, I mean, it's, oh, none, it's none of those tough. things are an easy read. Where no, we're, we're mean, picking up, like, the Tao Te Ching is kind of like, okay, so it's a short passage. I can kind of get the gist of it. <laughs> I guess that's true to some degree. I mean, there certainly are those. I mean, I think it's, I, I, I don't know. My gut is that it has deeper roots than that. Mm-hmm. Like there's almost this assumption in Western thought that we couldn't possibly have those, that a similar philosophy that it's sort of so at odds with our sort of hustle mentality and so many of the salts, right? The What's rigid about modern society that, that we end up looking for it elsewhere. Like it, it makes more sense that these philosophies exist in the East than they do in the West. Right. Like we almost don't want to see it in our own traditions as much as we think it's you know and maybe it's an element of like it's the other thing so it's the shiny new object and it's i don't know i i have never really thought about it but i think it there's an interesting conundrum about why you know western sort of gnostic traditions have been in many ways left behind or not thought about seriously in the same way like i think there's a lot of casual buddhists out there there's mm-hmm. not a lot of casual alchemists walking around <laughs> <laughs> and if there were i mean i guess i am but people don't understand that alchemy is in a way a religion they understand that buddhism is a religion yeah like we we don't have the same framework i don't know it's, it's odd i've never really thought about it they, they definitely in my opinion they complement each other um, for me, mm. like as, as a young man, I, I was really interested in the occult and magic and Aleister Crowley and yeah. Israel Rigardi and the unfortunate, all that stuff. And I would read it, but I didn't quite get it. You know, like, there was always like this piece yeah. like, oh, I don't know if I'm not getting this. And then it wasn't until later when I started getting into Buddhism and I actually started to sit down and practice meditation and learn how to control my mind a little bit mm. and put the reins on. Yeah. That, that 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 then I was like, okay, you know, some, something just clicked in my head. Let me go back and revisit some of this hermetic stuff now, and then yeah. all of a sudden, it's like, okay, now it makes more sense to me. And yeah, and I, and I had this conversation with um, uh, Lon Milo Duquette. I don't know if you know who he is. Um, I don't. Well, he's 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 the head of the OTO, which is uh, Alistair Crowley's oh, organization. Yeah. And uh, and uh, he uh, totally he's like yeah yeah they they they, they definitely complement each other and, and when you put the two together 
you have a really nice system. Yeah. I mean, I think there's something really, I mean, I meditate and I, I practice uh, a form. It's this gal who's a former actor and I'm an actor. So I sort of felt drawn to her as a teacher, but um, I don't, I, I mean, she went to India and I guess it's, it's sort of influenced by Indian traditions, but mm-hmm. it's also coming from her. So it's this Western tradition as well. But I think what's really great about out or about meditation is that meditation is this really like there's headspace, right? There's like apps that tell you how to do it. And it's very formulaic almost like there's lots of different ways to meditate. Right. Um, but there's so many guided meditations out there and so many apps like headspace or whatnot um, that give you a really practical way of getting that into your body. You know, these sort of, there isn't like, we don't think about like in the West, I I know there's prayer traditions that are similar to meditation, but we don't, we're not as aware of them. I I just think meditation and sort of like, like I've practiced yoga for a long time I think the act of doing these things in your body and like stepping away from the books and just doing the thing right you know whatever that is if it's the yoga if it's meditation doing the physical practice um can be something that really like things start to click then you're like oh (laughs) that thing I read in that book I get it (laughs) Yeah, so so like that actually would be like one of the stages in alchemy when when that happens. Yeah, well, I think with alchemy, like I think about alchemy a lot when I'm cooking. And I mean, once you've like dived into meditation, there's sort of the idea that anything can be a meditation. Mm -hmm. You know, like folding your laundry can be meditation. It's more uh, a state of mind than it is anything else right. you know you don't have to be sitting on your special meditation cushion with the special incense lit with the candles on either side you know you don't need all that that's all just mm-hmm. fluff really um i mean it can help but it doesn't you don't need it you shouldn't need it and i think with alchemy sort of the physical practice that we can all do i think i guess my aunt my thought is twofold that one there's something about cooking for me and that transforming of matter that happens with cooking you know when you put some raw spinach in on a in a pan to saute it you know as it burns down it becomes a different substance and like i think alchemists what i love about their sort of mindset is that there's this wonder about the world about how cool is that that you put this thing these leaves on this pan and you heat it up and it becomes this new thing in a way you know and or like making tea you know i'm a big tea drinker <laughs> Me too. and i think it's so cool it's like you know, you heat up the water. It's like all the elements are in tea. You you have to heat the water. You have um, 
hot air coming up from the fire. You have, you know, this herbs that you're putting into it that are akin to earth, you know, and this sort of, and I think the alchemist would go, isn't that cool? Like, that's so <laughs> cool. Like you boil water and you get this new drink out of it. Like, that's cool. We should study that. And then they'd go and like do some more experiments with different kinds of tea or something. Right. And maybe create kombucha. But, <laughs> you know, it's, I think that's really like, that's the mindset of the alchemist is, is that sort of wonder about life and about what this world is and the crazy ways it works. And it's all about really like constantly questioning and searching out reasons why that is. You know, there's a reason alchemy is sort of the proto-science. You know, it's, it's, it's attracted individuals and still does. I mean, in the same way that science does and astronomy does. People who are curious about the world and are like, but why is that a thing? You know, the alchemist has had a sort of philosophical framework for thinking about that, you know, akin to a religion. But I think, you know, once you get, once you start asking like quantum physicist questions, there's a lot of crossover actually between alchemy and quantum physics. Um, the guy who's considered one of the founding fathers of quantum physics, this guy Wolfgang Pauli, he was buds with Carl Jung and Carl Jung was like, hey, check out alchemy. And Wolfgang Pauli was like, alchemy is really cool. And then he developed all these, you know, very, I don't, I can't really talk much about quantum physics, but he created a lot of these basic formulas and, you know, this sort of bedrock on which quantum physics you know, is still mm -hmm. spun out on today. Yeah, I think almost all our sciences sort of have their roots in alchemy. Yeah. Again, it's like that tricky thing of like everything has its roots in alchemy, but yeah, certainly science. And um, I mean, chemistry and yeah. alchemy have the same root word, this Egyptian word, chem, uh, which refers to the black silt that would be left behind um, after the Nile flooded, that, that would be really fertile for agricultural and growing in the Egyptian uh, Nile Valley. So yeah, there's definitely, I think, a lot of roots between alchemy and science, modern day science. Um, how about the Philosopher's Stone? Do you think something like that exists and could give a person immortality? I, there's, I, I mean, there's stories there, right? in the alchemy. <laughs> like, uh, I mean, you, oh gosh, what's his name? Uh, Nicholas something. Uh, I'm going to find his name. But there were, I mean, alchemists who said like, hey, I did it. <laughs> I made the Philosopher's Stone. And there's all these stories about how like they went off and are still living in India and, and you know, they're just kind of doing their thing. And, oh, Nicholas Flamel was the, he was considered the, you know, guy who, who cracked the code on the Philosopher's Stone. 
and there's a pretty good cool story about you know this rat red stone that he was able to create and there was red powder found in his laboratory when he mysteriously left with his with his wife so who knows i mean like i think that's a little bit of the alchemist is like you don't know anything for sure until you know things but uh -huh. i think personally that my i think the philosopher's stone really comes down to being more metaphor for me i mean like i said i don't have a alchemical laboratory so i i really kind of lean hard on the esoteric side of alchemy the more spiritual side of alchemy um and i think the philosopher's stone in that sense is the final phase of the seven stages you know it's when you have become pure because the philosopher's stone and it's it's a really tricky thing to define because different alchemists at different points in time define it differently. You know, sometimes it's a stone. Sometimes it's a universal liquid solvent, you know, mm -hmm. something that can dissolve anything. But it all, all of those various definitions kind of have this root of it's this thing that is pure essence and when you're near it makes you pure like i'm sure you have people in your world in your life that and your listeners probably do too of people that seem like they're enlightened you know in some way or another that and when you're done hanging out with them one evening you feel yourself purified yeah. through them and i think they're like that friend for you is a little bit of the philosopher's stone in the same way. Like when you're, you know, in that a similar state, you can be that for other people. I, I don't think that there's, you know, an elixir to life, unfortunately, but, mm -hmm. um, I think in a way, like we, I, I believe that when we die, we all become, we all sort of, make it to that final stage in alchemy we all become pure essence you know and that is another form of way of thinking about the philosopher's stone you know like when you reach that final stage you sort of become this pure essence and you're unified with all that pure energy of the world you know that's just that isn't soul isn't isn't well, maybe it is soul, depending on what you think soul is, but, mm -hmm. you know, isn't yourself, but this, this sort of what's deeper than your self. Right. Like uh, a pure sense of absolute consciousness without all the judgment and, and issues that come with being human. Right. 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 It's kind of funny. Like I, when I meditate, Sometimes when I hit like a really good stride and I can kind of feel myself lose myself, like I'm not thinking, it's so hard not to do as a human. I mean, mm -hmm. we're supposed to think. Thinking is good. I, I think that's one of the lies of meditation. Like you want to think. Thinking is what your brain is made to do. But when you do kind of can quiet your mind, 
it's like when I have to breathe again, that it sort of disrupts it. Mm-hmm. I think this might just be a me thing, but like the act of breathing is such a human thing and sort of brings you back to reality that it, for me, sometimes when I've got, hit that kind of thoughtless, you know, pure form of meditation, uh, you know, I'm doing like yoga nidra or mm-hmm. something. It, it's the breathing that sort of brings me back to myself. Yeah. And, you know, when we die, we don't breathe anymore. So yeah. <laughs> maybe that's, you know, that sort of returning to essence, you know, it's the, the moments when we don't need to pull ourselves back into this world and this body and this self and this personality and all mm-hmm. the trappings of us. Yeah. I, I have two ways of, of dealing with that. One is, I don't try to stop my thoughts, you know. Mm-hmm, I, I kind mm-hmm. of say, okay, I'm just going to let my thoughts run. But I'm just not going to pay attention to them. I'm just going to pay attention to my breath instead and kind of almost like separate myself from them. Yeah, and, and, definitely. And let my brain do whatever it wants to do, and I'm going to do what I want to do. And, <laughs> and then you the, do your thing, I'll do mine. <laughs> yeah. And, and then the other thing is something that um, a, a Tibetan meditation, teacher taught me she said really pay close attention to the gap between your um your out breath and your in breath because she says you know there's a gap between those two breaths that you're actually not breathing and there's also when a gap during that time too when you're not thinking yeah and um and i really found that to be true if i really pay attention and I and I exhale, and I kind of pay attention a little bit. I'm like, oh, okay, there's some clarity here. Yeah. And then I take another breath, and of course, the whole thing starts all over again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it is something. I mean, I think breathing and focusing on the breath and meditation is a really beautiful thing. It always reminds me of the ocean that's sort of like pushing mm-hmm. holes and yin and yang of everything. It's the fire and water, right? It's yeah. the the two balancing acts of what living is. But, you know, we're ultimately kind of going to a place where we're going to exist in the gap between the in-breath and the out-breath. And it's becoming comfortable with that gap where, you know, we aren't thinking and we aren't breathing and we are just pure in a way. Yeah. And, um, the other thing, like with with the philosopher's stone, back to that one. Sure. I don't I don't know what book it was in, but I <laughs> I don't I have no idea who had what it was. I read it. God, this must have been thirty years ago, but I still it never I never forgot it. But um, it said uh, the the only place that you can find a philosopher's stone is in a pile of dung. And and that just kind of tells me, like, like you know, we got to kind of, you know, the idea is like, you know, we, we have to live our everyday lives and, and, and work our thre- way through all this shit. And when we do, eventually we'll find that, that you know, that pure reality. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when you say that, it makes me think again about the opposite, right? Mm-hmm. That It's sort of, you know, needing to hold 
what you've discarded with what you're becoming maybe i don't know yeah i like that metaphor of that you find it in the dunk <laughs> yeah yeah like rather than trying to find it through all these nice pretty things you're, yeah. gonna, you're gonna find it in the in the work and the stuff that we don't want to mm. look at you know that's where it's mm. at yeah the stuff yeah. that we're trying to avoid is where it actually is yeah and there's also something to be said about it's like you can't work that hard to make it you know it's going to be in a pile of dung it's mm -hmm. going to like you need to you just kind of let things go and then you'll find it maybe in the pile of poop eventually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or, or just pick up the shovel and start digging. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Yeah, I don't know why. It's just it's something that's always stuck and sort of resonated with me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so where can my listeners find you and find your book? Oh, okay. So the book is the beginner's guide to alchemy and you can find it you know wherever books are sold so to speak it's on amazon it's on bookshop.org which if you haven't heard about bookshop.org it's really great it's a uh, essentially amazon but it goes through um local bookstores um and then you can learn more about me and what i'm up to uh on my website, which is Sarah with an H, S A R A H, Dern, D U R N dot com. Uh, you can find me on the Instagram, which is Sarah with an H, Dern, and then the number three. It's my personal, professional Instagram. And then I also run a really cool Instagram called at remember underscore these underscore ladies remember these ladies mm -hmm. uh and every sunday i profile a really cool forgotten gal from history that you didn't learn about in history class oh that's cool um yeah it's become my pet project i'm hoping to kind of do some alchemical work of my own and transform it i have a book proposal i'm working on that's sort of related to that but as of now, it's the Instagram. So check it out. <laughs> and then uh, Twitter, I'm at Dern Sarah. I think that's all the things. <laughs> awesome. So uh, you have a chance to shoot me an email with all that. And yes, what I'll do is I will. I'll, I will post it in the notes of this episode. So after people listen to it, they can uh, click on the links and check you out. Yeah, it'd be great. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks for taking the time to be on today. Yeah, thanks. Was, I've had a great time. Yeah, me too. You're going to be my probably my go-to alchemist person from now on. So don't be oh, surprised great. if you get another invite from me. <laughs> Go for it. I'm here to talk all things alchemy. Awesome. I was going to play and the... meditation and dunk. <laughs> <laughs> and cooking and tea. And cooking and tea. I'm here <laughs> for all of it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And thanks for coming on. And I was going to play the outro. Okay. Thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable on KGRA Radio. 
You can reach Gary at everythingimaginable2020.com or email him at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. He's also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can buy t-shirts, coffee mugs, and other merchandise to support the costs of producing this podcast. Click on the merchandise link at the top of his page, www.everythingimaginable2020.com. Oh yes, I almost forgot. You can buy his book, Enlightenment Guaranteed. It's the only book on Zen that you'll ever need, and it's on Amazon. It'll change your life, because remember, everything that exists was first imagined. Hey, if you love what you listen to, don't forget, rate, review, and subscribe.